The priestess rides on through the countryside, leading her growing flock down the dusty road. It's still modest, just two of them. She had none when she left the chapel. That outsider would have made a nice addition. Some things are not meant to be. Something tells her there will be more before the journey's over. There are other voices waiting out there. The priestess smiles to herself. Everything has been accelerating so much of late. What an exciting time to be alive. What an exciting time for her, specifically, to be serving so many important causes, paying tribute to so many disparate masters. And such ambitious masters they are. It's almost a shame that, in the end, one of them will win. But for the time being, it's a crisp autumn day, and the itinerant priestess is out on the open road in the waning light. Perhaps she'll stop and make camp soon, but it's very tempting to push on into the darkness. It's been a long few weeks since Torch, after all. It's nice to have direction again, and it's difficult not to grow overly ambitious. She tugs at the thin, spiked chains binding her followers to her. Not for any real purpose. They're following just fine. Sometimes she just likes to remind them that she's there. This is Pod Against the Machine. Pod Against the Machine. Welcome back to Pod Against the Machine, the only actual play podcast where Phantasmal Killer works so well, it even kills your res. I'm your host, and here's everybody. Sad. We're still sad, Sam. Wow, not cool, bro. Though no yeah, time has passed. For the jokes, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no time. It's my job, and also no time has that passed. That makes it worse. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hi. So... Let's see. Previously on the program, nothing of significance happened. The party, with the final nanite cocoon in hand, went back down to the basement. They found that really cool door with the really cool lock, and they broke out some nanite cocoons. Those cocoons knew exactly what to do, unfurled themselves, filled up the door bubbles with nanites. The door unlocked itself. The party went in. They found a, a lab, which was you know, unremarkable in most ways, except there was a, a dead body of, of an android with her head cut open um, lying there, right by like a skeleton of like some guy in like robes and wizardy kind of outfit. And there was a robot. Um, and then that robot was, you know, a little bit menacing looking, but it didn't attack until Fergus Shout burst out of the bones. And, um, then it was a fight. It was a nice little fight. Uh, Brixby charged in, uh, ahead of everyone else and literally died, um, immediately thereafter. Um, like died, died to a phantasmal killer. Um... But he did stop Zhoud from running away before that happened, he, which was good. That's true. He Thank did, you, Jerome. He dimensionally <laughs> anchored Zhoud in place so he couldn't teleport or dimension door. Two spells that I believe he knew that Zhoud has because he stole Zhoud's spellbooks. Book, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So after that, there was a pretty hefty fight with sonic rifles and um, shout spells and um, violence, a lot of violence. The robot got staggered a bunch of times, which I think saved the party a ton of damage. And eventually, the robot went down, and then Fergus himself actually went down for the first time. He, of course, declared that he'd be back, but um, for the time being, the basement is Fergus free. And you're standing in this laboratory, which is, you know, small, metal, walled, sparsely furnished room. And the body of who you assume is Cassandra Lee is on the floor, uh, having been briefly weaponized and thrown at Kira. The body of who you assume is Fergus Shout is on the floor a little ways away by the uh, bed that Cassandra Lee's body was on previously. And the body of Brixby Rentail is right by the door. That's where we are now. I feel like normally Bricks would say something here, so yeah. I guess that someone else could. I think, like, what would happen is Alwyn would go over and try to heal him because, like, I realized kind of uh, in a realist of the previous episode that I don't think any of us would have realized that he's actually gone because. Alwyn injected him with the cardio amp, and I assume, like, Brixie would have, since he was one that rolled on it, would have told us all how it works. Like, you inject him with it, and they come back. And I think he would have just assumed that he was unconscious but alive after being injected, so I think he would go over and try to heal him at this point, now that the combat's over. And I imagine that would be when he would realize, like, he did not come back. Yeah, I think... Alwyn would realize pretty quickly that nothing was receiving the healing. Probably, like, he tries to cast the spell and, like, the charge stays on his hand. Because effectively, mm. there's nothing there. Yeah. Like, I imagine that's... Yeah. Like, I imagine that's how he realized he needed the cardio amp in the first place, because when he cast haste on everybody, it didn't hit everybody. And now he's trying to heal him, and I think he's just going to call over. Um, I think something is wrong... Can Asher, can you come help me here? Of course. And Asher would walk over and I think he knows. Uh, and that he would just stare for a moment at Brix's body and he would notice there's there's no motion of breathing. Yes, Alwyn. Something is very wrong. What? What what do you mean what's wrong? I I don't think he he said that that works. I don't I don't think it worked. We've We've done this before. I don't. We can just fix it, right? We'll just we'll go back out. We'll and 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 and, and we can talk to the moth. The moth loves Brixby. Maybe maybe the moth can help. Let's let's just get out of here. We did what we came to do, right? I don't 
I don't know. Fergus, on his way to disapparating, seemed to think that he would haunt us for the rest of our days and we'd never get rid of him. I don't know how to permanently kill a ghost. I mean, maybe we could take your hammer and smash his corpse until there's nothing left. Maybe that'll stop it. I don't know. I think at smash, like, Kira's like, great, this is something to do. Got it. Um, Drops the chainsaw, goes for the hammer, and just starts wailing on this corpse. Like, it's a far cry from books ago when Vargas was like, hey, we should coup de gras this body. This is like, great. This is something to do. I can do that. Smash is, I am good at that. And I think as she's just like wailing on this body, she's doing that thing of like crying, but you don't know you're crying. There's just like tears and no sound just on this body. Like, great. Okay, fine. Uh, I can do that. And then we can go, right? Spare the head. It's possible. Fine. Someone like Brother Derviage could speak with it. I don't... I don't know that someone as powerful as Fergus would be able to submit to such a spell or he resist it, but we can try. Kira puts the head in the bag. And the then. dead head blanket. <laughs> it's just got a bunch of dancing bears on it. He didn't have, like, a note on him that says, if I come back as a ghost, this is how you get rid of me or anything, did he? Sadly, Yeah, no. are we going to have to roll something for this? He's got, a, uh, he's got a little note in his pocket that says, unfinished business, colon, and then it's got a list of items. <laughs> Fix that leak. It says colon, and then there's just, like, a hammer smash on it. It's... <laughs> and not if he had it in his mouth. Head is fine. Head is fine. But his Palm um, Pilot, where he had the list, is totally destroyed. Yeah, that we didn't get to yeah. in time. Well, that Kira smashed it, actually. It was on the screen, too. You just had to take it out of lock screen, and it would have been right there. But that was the first thing she had. It was an artifact, oh. too. I'm telling you, this is the chaotic evil uh, <laughs> portion of, of the game for me. Um, yeah, she's just absolutely nuking all of his sweet, sweet gear, too. It's It's very sad. Yeah, that's fair. Could um before we go, uh, I mean Asher would want to kneel down and look at the body of Cassandali and see if he can, I don't know, determine anything. I guess with a knowledge engineering, maybe. Um yeah, sure, do a knowledge engineering, and I will say if you want to try to figure out what might get rid of Fergus um, permanently. It would be a knowledge religion to see if you can deduce it now that you're relatively familiar with the guy. Yeah, I'll I'll do that first. I think Alwyn has that also. Yeah, mine's probably not as high as yours, but I'll roll. Oh, it doesn't matter. I rolled a one. Total of a nine. That's not going to do it. 21? The brain's not working. 13 plus 8 is 21. Yeah, 21. Is that high enough for anything? Um, that isn't high enough yeah. um, to figure out the conditions. Um, you do know that as a ghost, he's going to be back. 
Usually it takes at least two days, but it could be five days, it could be a week, it could be two days. Um, he could be a special ghost, and he could be back tomorrow. Um, Would that 21 be enough to know whether he's tied to the tower or to the corpse? Um, like, if we take the skull with us, could he re- would he reform on the skull, or would he stay in the tower? I don't think you know. It's not high enough no. for you. Because I know some stuff, like, uh, what's his name? The one that runs that country, but he, like, can't leave it because he's a ghost. Geb. Like, I know they can be tied to places instead of just their remains, so... I'm hoping he would be tied to the tower. <laughs> So he's tied to the skull. That might not be. That's yeah, fine. Well, we've got so much time to figure that out. It's gonna be so great. Right. So, uh, you mentioned Sam. Like the sort of general knowledge is it usually takes about two days. Is that roll enough to give us? Like he probably will be fine for the next X hours. I know you sort of just said this, but... Yeah, you, you don't no. really okay. know. So it, it literally could be like, he could come back in the next five minutes. We have no idea. I, I think you can generally be pretty confident that he's not going to be back that quickly. It's probably, you know, it's it's going to be at least a day. It's probably two yeah. days Do we more. think probably similar to the, uh, what were those guys called? The gear ghosts that were like two DX days? Uh, probably a, a similar mechanic, but difficult to say for sure so probably a minimum of two most likely okay so we can say there is a minimum uh we can guess probably um that's just that's all i wanted to know is like should we be concerned about this happening in the next five minutes hello kingsley hey kings uh looking at cassandra lee's remains asherwood i don't know if remains is too strong a word but at her inert body at least he would try and straighten her out from being thrown against the wall and Kira. Uh, he gets a dirty 30 on knowledge engineering, trying to suss out, like, is there an on button? Uh, does it look like she's got the neurocam in her pocket? I guess that'd be more perception. Um, but can we learn anything about other than presumably she was shot in the chest or something? Um, well, it looks like her body has extensive wounds on it. It looks like she was shot in the chest, but before that, she took quite a beating. Whatever battle she went through, it was not kind to her. (laughs) Um, and posthumously, the top of her head looks like it was surgically removed, um, exposing, like, the android equivalent of a brain, which does look brain-like, except it's, like, gray and kind of plasticky and has like those nanite trails on it um it does look like with the 30 engineering that there's kind of a remnants of like a little bit of an explosion like on the inside of her head i think asher having been so closely involved with nanites just a little while ago can kind of glean that it looks like there was some kind of nanite trap inside of her head and like maybe when they cut her head open they burst out and that's what killed Fergus I love that (laughs) 
Oh, her brain was booby trapped with nanites. It looks like that's it. actually kind of awesome. Hey, uh, feel free to roll over that thirty or double it, however you want to go. Uh, based on that, and you know, hey, now I've got this cool android friend. Uh, she needs help. Obviously, maybe she's been dead for a million years. Uh, there is that whole like blueprint scenario in the hallway when we first walked in of like you know put the lotion on the skin then the android walks again something like that uh put it in the back to tank and everything's gucci uh <laughs> was there does asher know like well, pff, why didn't Fergus just bring her back and ask her questions um well it looks like the um and you did look over that those drawings, and you probably remember seeing the android foundry in the wreck of the Aurora yeah. under Idenvay. Those things are where the android bodies are built. Um, they don't necessarily um, have the capacity to like repair and revive androids. They just okay. build the body that then, by some mystical means that nobody truly understands, they receive a soul and animate. Okay. That was going to be my next question was, can we drag her back to that other place and like shove her in one of those yogurt tubes that the weird androids were coming out of and fix her? Yeah. Uh, last question for now on, on Cassandale or androids in general. Does Asher think that like a breath of life would work on an android considering the species, the, like the spirit comes into this body, but you know, they could have. Does he? Does he think that's something that might work? I think um, theoretically, um, since they do have souls, like a breath of life sort of thing would probably work. But I mean, you know, she's been dead for at least a few years, so breath of life is off the table. Yeah, sorry, not what I meant. We would yeah, need yeah. like <laughs> a minimum of what resurrection? I think is the yeah. lowest one that doesn't care about how long which that's a pretty yeah. high one. I don't think we know anyone that has that one yet. Asher will uh, take off his hat, remove the letter from inside his little compartment, and just kind of place it on her chest and say, uh, I've got a delivery for you. I believe it's too late to warn you. But, you know, the mountain's not good. Don't go in there. And, uh, sorry about the whole Fergus situation. We should, we should take them all with us, right? What's left of him and what's left of her. Him was very much directed at Fergus Jowd, by the way. That'd be super mean otherwise. I could care less about his remains. We have his head. And if it will speak with us, great. But yes, I'd certainly be inclined to bring Cassandra Lee out of here. I'm gonna... I'm gonna carry Pricks. Can we put her in... Is she okay in the bag? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, she doesn't need to worry about breathing at the moment, at least. Sorry about your friend, Asher. 
Asher just kind of gives her a sad smile. Her being Kira. I didn't know her. I, uh, just met. The real loss. The real friend. Brixby, I hope. Hope he's willing to return. He's not lost. He can't be. He'll come back, just like everyone else did. It's gonna be fine. We'll be good. Um, and with that, we'll pick up Brixby and just, like, the most the gentlest possible, smeared with gore. Very disgusting, but attempting to be as gentle as possible. No no dead friend blanket here. Those are for dead friends, and we don't have those. Temporarily sleeping friends. And, uh, head head out, I guess. Well, I, I will say that you haven't, um, searched the room in case, um, anyone's interested. I know this might not be a time when the PCs are particularly interested in going through stuff, but the option is on the table. It, I, I don't think Al would think of it. Yeah, unless there's something that says, like, we need this exact component for a bring someone back to life spell. Uh, I don't think Kira's gonna grab any of this stuff. Unless there's another chainsaw. Is there another no, no, chainsaw? I think as as yeah. we're like scooping Cassandra into the bag and stuff, Asher at least is gonna look around, if nothing else, out of uh, kind of anxiousness, kind of restlessness. Like, I want to get out of here, but, you know, let's just see if there's another chainsaw or another null blade or bottle of Cassandale's memories. <laughs> well, there's, um, there's definitely stuff on what's left of Xiaod. Um, and there's sort of a, a pile of stuff in the corner. And it looks like there might be a gun over there. And there's like a, a weird glass sphere that's like a, attached to like a little machine thingy sitting on, on one of the tables. 25 perception, two under the max for this guy. Yeah, I mean, there's um, some kind of suit of tech armor. There's a a wand, fancy-looking tech gun. Uh, There's a cloak, um, a set of goggles, a couple rings, a weird rod on Fergus, and then there's that weird globe thing. Just throw it all in the bag. I don't want to take the time to study things um does the globe yeah. thing look like it could be safely removed from the table and stored it, it's pretty small um it's just like a handheld size thing um so you should be able to transport it no problem does it look like it would break if we put it in the bag or should we hold it in our hands um you could probably put it in the bag i don't think that'd be a problem well let's We'll place it gently. Let's take these things with us so we don't have to come back down here anytime soon. I would very much like that. I'm not sure I ever want to come back to this place. Oh, I'm going to come back. Let's go. Oh, yeah, no. We have, like, two more floors to clear and to figure out how to permanently get rid of him. But I think Alowin at the moment is, like, not thinking much of that. I think the next time I return, and I will, it will be to destroy this place. I think Brixby would love to help. Let's come back with Brix. And 
just uh, roll out with our newly acquired loot. All right. So you backtrack uh, through the roundabout hallway up the 180-foot stairway i think it's actually higher than that it's like 240 feet total because you got to go all the way up to like the sixth or seventh floor you get up to the sixth or seventh floor wherever it is that takes you to fergus's bedroom and then you know back out and wind your way back down through the tower nothing gives you any trouble on the way you can leave do we see the moth um, is the moth nearby? Yeah, Long Dreamer's over in her grove um, where she lives, not not far away. Um, just hanging out. I think uh, Kira's going to make a, uh, a, a beeline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that physically hurt me. I'm so upset. Um, Kira's going to walk over to the moth in a quick fashion. And Long Dreamer, the will stare pointedly at Kira. Um, Kira has Trixie's body in her arms. Just, can you... She'll sort like, reach out an arm, like, holding it up, just kind of signaling that she can't actually communicate without physical contact. Fine, fine. Um, and we'll touch a moth arm, grip it. Um, once you're... <laughs> Gripping the moth arm, she's able to uh, speak in your mind and say, "This, this is a terrible development. Is is, is he quite dead?" I, we think so. I don't know, but you are his friend, and you can fly at super fast speeds and do other weird moth things. No offense. Can you fix him? I, I can't bring the dead back to life but I could I could bring you to the the place where we we brought um Halloween before just a few days ago we we could I can bring you there right away if that will help uh yeah yeah okay um well, like I mean I assume the others are pretty close behind yeah she says she can take us back and she will lower her hand and then sort of lower herself so everybody can climb on to the house-sized glow-in-the-dark moth. I ascend the moth. <laughs> Shit through Brother Dervich's house. And she'll once again fly you back um, to Idenvay, um, which is much faster than walking by any stretch of the imagination. It's still like pretty late in the day by the time you get there, I think, because it's, it's not instant space travel. For some reason, she can only travel super crazy fast in space. Uh, and she'll land a little bit clear of the city to let you walk in on your own, because generally people don't like giant bugs. Um, yeah, Kira's still holding Brixby's body. I don't think she's particularly animated about it at this point, just sort of head down, making their way back toward the appropriate parties. Yeah, we go to the Erastilian Temple. Which probably has a name, like, Old Dead Eye something. I think it's just called The Meeting House. That sounds perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the any guards at the gates are familiar enough with the party coming in that nobody even slows you down and lets you carry him straight over to 
the meeting house where it, it's quiet at this point because it's evening. Um, but Brother Dervich is inside. The cleric of Erastal doesn't look as great as he did four days ago. Um, I think it, it's only been four days, but you can see he's got like sunken cheeks, bags under his eyes, and like it, it looks like maybe he's lost a little weight, gone a little bit grayer. Um, he's just in the meeting house, sort of staring off into space. Brother Dervich, are you all right? And he sort of jumps a bit when he realizes he's, he's being spoken to and uh, looks over and says, oh, Sorry, I was uh, miles away. What, what can I do for you? I know it's taxing, and you may not be able to until you've had time to commune with your deity, but we've lost a good friend that we'd like to avail ourselves of your ability. If you could bring him back to us. And I, I think it's only when Asher's pointed this out that he's actually, like, looking enough to, to realize and, and see Brixby in Kira's arms and, like, kind of go a little bit pale and say, I, of, oh, of course, um, just if, if you can bring him to the back, I, I just need a, a few minutes to um, commune with the rastal, and then I, sh- I should be able to um, sort of eyes drift for a second, like sort of slowly looks down at the floor and then like shakes his head and goes, yeah, yes, just just a, a, a few minutes. Or, you know, follow me. And he'll lead you over to the, the back, like around the um, bench that you put Alwyn on um, when it was time to revive him. And he'll... Um. I think Kira lays lays Brix's body down and um, just sort of stares at it for a second. Uh, and then before Brother Dervich leaves, just lays a hand on his shoulder. Are you sure you can do this? Because if not, we can take him somewhere. We'll find someone else. But if you can't do this, then we have no reason to be here. No, oh, I, I... Of course I can. I, um... Yeah, it's... it's no problem at all. We owe you at least as much. It's, um, I don't particularly relish, uh, reaching across the veil again so soon, but you needn't concern yourselves with that, that, um, old, old dead I, I and I will deal with that burden as, as we need to. I, I'll, I'll just be a few minutes. I just need to, uh, prepare, sort of disappear into his office for a few minutes, presumably to get the the diamonds which of course you all have to pay for that's sort of the unspoken thing doesn't belong in somber conversation (laughs) yeah no well we just dump some stuff from the most recent loot out on the ground (laughs) and um and he he comes back after a little while and he'll um place the diamond on brixby's head like right at the the bridge of his nose and I'll hold out his hands over him and I'll say a, a prayer to Erastal, very similar to the one he said uh, over Alwyn, um, basically calling back this member of our family, this valued part of our community whose work is not yet done, um, entreating Erastal to entreat 
Phrasma on their behalf to uh, bring back their fallen comrade. And um, somewhere far, far away, Brixby hears a call. Is Brixby going to answer? This time he does. Well, I think the um, divine force that is essentially like, because it's life and death, it necessarily involves Phrasma. And because um, it's a cleric of Arastal doing it, it involves Arastal's power. And because Brixby um, was a fairly recently <laughs> born again Desnan, I, I think we have a kind of conflagration of, of three different pieces of divine energy um, pulling him out of the seemingly endless line in the boneyard where it's been patiently awaiting judgment because that's what you do and lifts him up off the ground um, and the sort of gray never-ending expanse of that fades away and sort of the material plane starts to fade into existence around him and I think as as Brixby is coming back to himself, uh, why don't you make me a perception check? Oh, a rolly do. Um, totally prepared to do that. Hold on. I gotta just apply some negative levels <laughs> to myself before I can get out of here. Alrighty, there we are. Alright, that is a 10 for a 26. Alright, well, there's two different things that I think Brixby notices and the one is more of a memory than like noticing something now it's more of a he noticed it retroactively before as he was passing from living into death of seeing Fergus Shoud in earnest for the first time of seeing the ghost that's been tormenting the party that killed Alwyn that killed Brixby in his true form as this being that sort of encompassed the tower and is anchored to it all over the place. And with, with a 26 perception, Brixby can kind of remember seeing all these infinitesimal like tethers of smoke binding this being to the material plane, like a tether binding it to the robot that um, died in the room that you died in just shortly after you and a couple other robots maybe elsewhere in the tower and then tiny lines connecting him to the spell books you found and various bits of the treasure that your party now carries and one strong black smoke-like line running from the dead wizard into the smoke furnace in the basement and I think Brixby has this vague idea that if you could break a critical mass of these connections, take away enough of his treasure, destroy enough of his favorite toys, shut down the furnace, you could sever Fergus's ties to the plane, be free of him once and for all. The other thing I think that you'd notice as you come in, and this is more of a contemporary, <laughs> like a thing that's happening now as Brixby's returning to life is that at the edges of this magic, in addition to the core deities that I mentioned before, whose power is involved in this, there are just these little hints of tendrils 
of something else just right at the edges. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. <laughs> and then you're back. So with that, I think it's like a really intense breath in, like the type of inhalation that like hurts your chest. And he opens his eyes and like his vision is so blurred um, and still has that sort of tendrils of darkness pushing in from the outside. And he looks up and he sees the faces of his friends and he sees the honk if you're horny shirt with antlers <laughs> on it that uh, all Arastillian priests have to wear. That is the uniform. And <laughs> sorry, I really, I have to do this so I don't cry. Um, and he he says, Bricks, no. And then he sits up. Did I? Did, did I die? It was more like a very long, sad nap. Thanks, though, from... I'm beginning to think that's one and the same. I... Thank you. Thank you. I... I can't believe I'm here. I gave him a chance. Um... Brother... I, I assume you're responsible for this, and, and thank you. But if I could just... inconvenience you a bit more, could you... Do you leave me with my friends? Just for a moment. And Dervish nods and says, uh, if, if you need me, I'll be um, just in, in my chambers back here to leave the room. When you go, if you have a powdered version of the, the rock you put on his head, if you can bring that back when you come back in later... Sort of pointedly not look at Alowin, but nod and, and go out of the room. I, I thank you all for bringing me back. I, um... Well, for a long time I didn't think that I would ever deserve this. And... That might be confusing to you. This all might be a little confusing to you. And I... 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 Me. Oh, something to all of you. An explanation. I love you all very much. I need to say this first. This is also something I've never put to words. So, it might be a little long and not make sense. I told you all about how we fell. We fell, me and my brother, right? We fell, right? We were exploring and we fell. We fell right to the ground and we fell. And that's what I saw when I died, is that we fell. And when we landed, right? My brother, yeah, he was under rock. I, I was a bit lucky, I always was. Yes. I told you all that. Um, he just kind of steeples his 
fingers for a moment and then kind of rubs his temples. Um, I, I owe you this, so please let me finish. Now, when we were down there, like I said, we had fallen. Um, we'd been at it for hours at this point, trying to understand what I assume to be alien technology that almost wholly constituted this room, our prison. I, uh, my brother, he looks around, Brixby, was trapped under debris and couldn't move nor feel anything below his chest. His breathing was labored, but his temperament was classic Bricks. He laughed at me, flecking a little bit of blood on the floor as I was mucking around the walls. Said to me, Finally, I get to be the brain. You get to be the hands, Fof. Dwarfed, both physically and intellectually, by the glass and metal monolith of the wall around me, I couldn't muster more of a deflated laugh at that point, but it was also enough to throw me into a coughing fit. Between my broken ribs and all of the dust we kicked up, I doubled over and tumbled back, rolling over the slight pitch of the floor into the right corner of the room. That, well, that's when I met Forsyth, or more so, nearly powdered that poor desiccated corpse with my, well, as I like to say, my considerable bulk. Thankfully, and he starts pawing around in his um, belt pouch, his notes fared better. Brixby kind of weakly brandishes those notes. He, Forsyth, was trapped down here first. Pathfinder aspirant, devotee of the Song of the Spheres. Now the material of that room, it, it prevented any teleportation magic. But he still performed some sort of divine ritual down in that chamber. And he also chronicled everything that he learned in his dreams after that ritual. Here, as he shakes the paper, each night he was visited by this this is, he points to a line, softly luminescent chartreuse moth of the most incredible beauty. It guided him. He whispered to him, those dreams are here. He shakes the papers a bit more. This, his dreams, they taught me the tongue of the stars. And they gave us, uh, well, a solid foundation for understanding the nature of our captivity, my brother and I. More importantly, it taught us about the pods. On the last night of Forsyth's documented life, he learned that the room had an intrinsic means of escape. Ports. They're like small ships that would hopefully launch you straight out. And probably into the ground since we were buried, but hopefully with enough force to break out of this hollowed, tunnel-ridden ground and the alkaline sand that lies above, or at least get crushed or stuck or lodged in this cursed earth trying. However, for all his desperate efforts and mechanical inclinations, this was far beyond the tinkering that Forsyth had picked up in his Desmond caravans over the years. The pods had safety overrides, see. And worse, while the room seemed to retain some power, those couplings that transferred the the electricity, the lightning, to the pods were completely ruined 
Unlike Forsyth, fortunately, we had a little bit of knowledge in this area. Now, time gets a little balmy here, so I need you all to bear with me. Now, it might be the trauma, physical, mental, being separated from the sky. The only light was the faint glow of those damned complicated walls. It was hours they melted together. My brother had Forsyth's journal sprawled out in front of him. And pinching wires and punching buttons, here I was. We collapsed from exhaustion. After much frustration, I was able to create a little bit of drinkable water using a scroll from the journal that Forsyth left, filling his wineskin. Scroll, I'm honestly not sure why he didn't use it. When I finally succumbed to sleep that night, I was awash in dream. There, above my face, was the same luminescent morph described in those notes, just hovering, this like otherworldly grace. Like it was here, but also somewhere else. I rose, feeling no pain, following the moth. Just like the author of these scribbles here, my paw outstretched, tracing this residual light it left in its trail, like dapples of starlight on the ceiling. It was like watery, ethereal almost. At times, the room, the room around us, it would fade. It was like we were walking, and, and like we were up there. There, Brixby points to the sky, way, way up there, beyond everything, and into the nothing. And it would all come back into focus. And I just staggered after that moth. I traced its path along the wall, came to rest on this near invisible indentation, the slightest lip of a ledge, and this ledge that betrayed a panel that we had missed before. I wedged the shim from Brixby's pack, managed to pry back the door, see neatly coiled wires, couplers, and assorted electro-ephemera. It was an emergency jump kit. Well, that's what Brixby called it when he finally woke. That day was like a fever dream. His voice and the ever-present internal monologue of my head became indistinguishable. My hands were like an extension of his thoughts as he spoke, I did. He, from his position on the floor, was even able to secure the final jumper cable, hopefully diverting enough of the system's powers to propel the parts. Next was the lockout. When this thing, this ship, wherever it came from, what seems to have crashed here became severely damaged. In fact, the sheer luck that it even functioned at all, let alone had enough power reserves, was truly incredible. Regardless, even with the power sorted, the panes of glass still flashed these bizarrely jagged alien scripts, warning sounds beeping from the speakers. I always had a gift for language of the two of us, but apparently Forsyth, with his caravans, had tenfold the talent, much to our fortune. Using his notes, after a mountain of failed attempts, I was able to override the locks on both ports. We could escape. Just had to free my brother. Just had to free Brixby. Now, I've never been strong, he looks around. 
Smart, sure. Never strong. Size of the debris that fell on him. Size of your body, big stuff. <laughs> Nevertheless, I pushed. And I pushed. Would you believe it? By the grace of who knows, I got one free. Free enough to roll down the pile and deeply gouge the jumper cable from the pack that Bricks himself had placed, nearly severing it in half. We were silent for a long time then. My brother, he spoke first. He gave voice to that awful, icy truth that burrowed into my brain at that point. He looked at me and he said, Both. I have to stay. You need to get out. Before I could even protest, he wheezed, raggedly, and continued. You can't free me. And what's more, one of us needs to hold this basically severed cable together. Go. Quickly go. Find someone who's actually lifted a weight. <coughs> Instead of all those books. Watch the blood stain the light dust that gathered around my brother as I tried to plead, but he just looked so tired. Closed his eyes again as he repeats himself, go, and he grabbed my hand and said, please, and live for me, for mom. Those words, as he points to his chest, Never left my heart. My eyes were so wet with tears, I could barely enter what I had assumed to be the power-up sequence I had fought so hard to determine earlier. The final press on that glass panel. It lit up a wall to my left, wheezing, grinding open, revealing a tilted seat in a similarly complicated array of tech covering the chamber's walls. Reluctantly, I clambered in, and the startling whoosh that previously unseen door slammed shut, obscuring my view of the room, save a small, circular window, offering a blurry view of my brother, Brixby, under the rubble. My brother, the one that's getting me out of here. My brother. The one I'm leaving, down here, in the deep dark, alone and he pauses for a sec a bit to cry <laughs> so does Zach <clears throat> and with that thought I was plunged into the darkness of the pod it was sudden it was terrifying I looked out the window to see him scrabbling with the wires seeing the way that they were crudely cut had actually destroyed a considerable length of the wire itself I didn't realize that it had damaged about a foot length he ripped off that damaged piece, leaving about four inches of usable cable at either socket, which was separated by a good three feet. And then, he, my brother, the way he looked at me. And at this moment, he looks in everybody in his party's eyes. I never want to see that look on the face of someone I love ever again. 
impulse flooded my brain. I tried to open the door and I screamed for him to stop. I knew it was futile, but it, even if he had heard me, he wouldn't listen. And then I watched my brother, Brixby Renttail, bridge those remaining wires with his body and power my pod. I watched the electricity travel through him, killing him, and I didn't even have the time to cry before I was hurtled forward, my pod slamming into and through each of the thin, porous rocks that sit between the poisoned soil of Numeria and the cursed sky that sits above it. Each collision sent jolting pain through my core as I screamed for Brixby, for my own pain, and beginning to choke on my own wild panic. And then, for a moment, there was nothing. It was the same nothing as before, profoundly weightless and empty, except for that moth hovering above my face. It's trailing starlight, slowly drifting down across my eyes. And that moment, it was imposed over this memory, this one I have of us as kids. These merchants from Tian Sha, right? They had come on boats, these big boats with dragons. They had these, called them fireworks. These great bursts of sky in the sky of fire and of color and of thunderous booms of godly proportion and there we were as young ones we had snuck out of Chitter home to see the show still remember him beside me under those exploding stars in that moment those trailing bits of light became those ashes raining from the sky on our faces still smelling of sulfur and warm from their transformation into nothing. This, this memory was followed by the awful spiraling pitch black to the present and assumedly up through the last few inches of that blasted Numerian soil. The honest had given way, I had collided with the wall, badly injuring all of the fingers on my left paw. After minutes of slamming my aching body against the hatch, it finally gave way. And then, I was enveloped by that bitter, dry taste of ozone. The one we taste now. It's how I knew I'd made it to the surface. As I crawled out, known to that unforgiving dust of that barren plain, my stinging eyes coming back into focus under the bleary light of the stars. The real stars and that inky black behind them, and then further beyond that black. All that time, three of those words he said to me still just loudly echoed in my head, ringing in the hollows of my mind. Live. For. Me. It was only a few hours before those pinpoints of torches of a small, tattered caravan gave me a thing to crawl to croaking in my hoarse voice with lungs that were equal parts air and dust. They found me, cared for me, tended to my injuries. And it was those three words rattling in my brain that filled my throat 
when I introduce myself as Brixby Rentail. While I know it possibly had different intent in the moment, beyond the immeasurable debt that I owed for his sacrifice, our entire incense-choked childhoods were spent in my mother's rituals, all centered on the near-cosmic import of my brother's existence, who now lay dead because of me. It was those three words that moved my hands to take the knife and remove this already ruined left finger to match him, to adopt the swagger and the confidence and the skills in his deep pain, the burden that he carried so effortlessly. One thing I never learned. When I went back to Cheddar Home, they all believed I was them, as I was. And I am. Something happened to us in those days when we were in full synchronization in that room. We became each other. The voice in my head was his. My hands were his. My breath was his. They all believed. Except for mum. Looking horrified, all she said to me was, no, no, not like this. She fled from me, her son. Since then, I've been on my own, searching for answers and absolution, neither of which seem readily available or anything I deserve. Then, well, then I found all of you. When I died, when I was falling, falling again down that shaft towards that room, I felt that crushing weight. I felt what he felt, and it killed me. It killed me. Sudden pain, and then nothing. For a long time. Long time, I think. For I felt that familiar void. Without surprise, saw that same moth leading me towards nothing. Perhaps that's the absolution that I deserved and, and what I would get there. And maybe even that would bring me towards him. But there was even more emptiness there than had ever been before, circling me, surrounding me. Unnoticed at first, despite crackling with this quiet intensity. In that moment though, Focusing on that near-violent light that ringed me, I saw something else. Bright. Turns his face towards Kira. So your burning, unbeatable heart, Kira. Pounding in the nothing that was no more. And then you, turns to Asher, your indispensable wisdom. It breezed over me, no, through me. Like a night wind snaking through sage in the desert. And then finally, out of nothingness, that void, there were stars. Turns again. Stars in your eyes, Alowin. Which I believe the stars of your beautiful, strange soul. And then I welcome the light in.
here I am. Like legit crying. Whew. I mean, that was amazing. That was. Thank you. That was really good. <laughs> it's not faked. Real, real tears. They'll never know, but this is for us. And all the other Izzy's that are on this call. <laughs> if anyone's ever deserved a Sky Metal, uh, it's a. God, I could just—I could see everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he—he—he he, he needs a sky medal for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a uh, sky medal uh, sitting on your sheet on roll twenty. Um, we'll read a dedication later. Doesn't feel like the moment for it. <laughs> now, I. Before you ask, yes, we are the same. We're one now. I'd like you to still call me Brixby. Even if you know my secret. Only ones who do. But I saw him. I saw him there. And, and the first time you, you invited me back, I tried to send him. I tried to send him. I said, it's you. I did it. I lived for you. And now you get me. And he just turned back. Continued waiting in line. He wouldn't look at me again. But I knew. So before you ask, I am Brixby, and both too, both of us, but more importantly, I'm all of yours, forever. And he just starts crying, <laughs> and he cries a little bit more. And he maybe tries to hug and it keeps crying. And someone honks their car horn outside of the Arastal church a little bit. <laughs> so it breaks the mood. And yeah, I think I'm done physically crying now. Wow. Oh. Well, the four of you are alone, weirdly. In the meeting hall, um, in the evening, after quite a day, it seems oddly um, crude to say, what's the plan? But um, where do we go from here? It, it's important to, to Asher as soon as it's, as soon as everyone's done crying and hugging or what have you for him to he just kind of kneels down so he could be eye level with Brixby and just 
he starts just like ugly crying and he he says to him friend brother I'm sorry if I hadn't waited oh I'll be strategic I'll let Kira and Brixby go and then I'll jump in and my fault I was a coward and you died I'm sorry no 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 Asher no I've been living I've been living to die for years since then and I've been doing a poor job of it by living on. And it's me, it's me who mucked it up. You're brave. You're all brave. It's your bravery that brought me back. You survived. You brought me, you didn't let me die down there, down in the deep, deep dark like him. You didn't leave me there. You brought me back. It just kind of grabs Asher's head. It's, it's, it's okay. It's all okay now. We're all okay. I think... I think uh, after hearing Asher talk and then Bert's answer, uh, uh, Alwyn would also kind of walk over and would kind of pet Brixby on the nose like he did when they first met and he'll uh, hand him the used cardio amp and say I tried to help you when it happened I I think I might have been the the first to notice but like Asher I also have to apologize I, I must have done it wrong I didn't pay attention when you were telling us what to do and it no, I couldn't no. save you. No, listen, no. Like I said, you did it right. I tried to send him back, man. I saw that door, that light, and and that's when I said, "It's your turn. It's it's, it's your turn. I live for us. Live for me." And he just looked through me. Look past me. And by the time that I turned to the light, it was gone. I was the one. I was the one who spoiled that chance. Not you. I, I tried to send him back. And he didn't want to go. So please. Please, Halloween. It wasn't you. It was me. But I'm just so thankful you tried again. And I'm just so thankful to be here. <sighs> um, okay. Well, guess it's my turn. And Kira's been pretty quiet through all of this. She'd have been receptive to hugs if they were 
Crawford. Um, just generally like maybe gone and gotten a glass or whatever Numeria has instead of glasses of water. Um, it hasn't said anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, hasn't said anything to this point. Um, but after Asher and then Alwyn speaks, she'll kind of shrug and be like, well, I know how to count, so I guess it's me. Um, I know that if I say I'm sorry and this was my fault, you'll say, no, it wasn't, because that's who you are, Bricks, Bricksby. You are a person who tries so hard, whatever you think of yourself, to give and give and give to the people you love, and we see it. I want you to know that. I want you to know that whoever you think you are, the person we see is beautiful and and kind and worth saving. So, so I'm not going to apologize. I'll just say, I'm glad you're back exactly as you are. And this won't happen again, I promise. Um, and at that, like for just a second, shows there's like a flicker of emotion there. Um, and like almost you can see it like run through her body like a current before she sort of gets a lid on it again uh, and tightens her hands, looks away. It won't happen again, I promise. And that's it. Thank you, big stuff. Thank you for keeping the light that shines so bright in here. See points to their heart and their chest. Literally, it's the first light that began to guide me home. I'm just. I'm just so thankful for you all. have to ask. Uh, shout. Did, what happened? Kira reaches in the bag and just pops out ahead. We brought him. <laughs> Ta-da. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you really but... stole his face. That's a, a deep Grateful Dead joke for all of our yeah, the dead heads. crossover fans that don't exist. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there's probably one. <laughs> there's, yeah. There's got to be one it's, in our Discord. Let us know if it's Jerry you, Garcia and we'll focus himself. on that. I know. <laughs> yes, Bob Weir in our Discord, everybody. Um, oh, well, it looks a lot worse here than when I saw him. With that, Brixby's eyes narrow a little bit, and he says, Yeah, I... I saw him. Looks around. I saw him. I saw him. But not not him. Not the, the ghosts we've been fighting. Or dead. I saw him. He's, he's part of the tower. He's part of it all. He's connected to that, that blasted infernal smoke furnace. He's, he's part of the robots that walk all of the halls he's part of the technological wonders and nightmares that make up that place but what i saw 
What I think I saw was the ability to get rid of him forever. We gotta go back. We gotta break. He looks at Kira. Break everything he is connected to. We have to rip that place to shreds. The furnace, the robots, the technology, all of it. That's how we get rid of them. At least I think. That's what my heart says. Well, you haven't been wrong so far. And I could go for some breaking stuff. I think I hate that guy. Same. I normally don't have very strong feelings about people, but I also think I very much hate him. Hands in. Hate him on three. <laughs> hate him. Hate him. Yay. Oh, wait. oh no, wait. Get, <laughs> I forgot hate to count. One. <laughs> hate him. Hate him. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. One, two, hate him. One, two, hate on three. <laughs> him on four. Yeah. Whew. It's like one of those cries that make your like eyes hurt from the crying. Is a, and then you have to take a nap afterward. It's a good cry. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I'm a. Uh, who. Yeah. But good. I um I don't know what time it is, when it is or how you all are doing. Uh I, I mean I feel weak. I know you understand. I think Alwyn say when you say that uh when we're done here I can maybe help with that a little bit. Thank you, my friend. I, uh... We need to go back. I saw something else when I saw him. It's, um... It's a deep hate. A deep evil. And I know long-lasting, deep emotions that span physical lifetimes. And, and the depth of that. It was a darkness that I could be lost in forever. I'm sure I don't need to express how important it is that we rid this land of him, but... And with that, he just kind of falls backwards dramatically in like a Victorian fainting spell. Because I'm sure he probably feels horrific with his two temporary negative, permanent negative levels. Yeah, it's got to just be an awful feel, especially considering he doesn't even have any physical injuries. Like, I, I guess he was hit with the sonic rifle, so he got hurt a little bit, but he was practically fresh when he went down, and now it's just like this weight and exhaustion and weakness yeah it it's gotta feel weirder than if he did get injured because like you might maybe like if 
like I imagine, like when Alowin was brought back, it's probably hard to tell the difference between the negative levels and like the burn. But for bricks, like it's got to be obvious that whatever's wrong with him is from the resurrection. Bricks, do you want to take Brother Dervich's bed? <laughs> honk, honk. You can come <laughs> back in. <laughs> Peek back around the window, kind of tentatively, and then come in. Um, we all feeling as as well as we can, and under the circumstances. Bricks begins in the inter. Galarian sign of the rascal warship and wiggles his hands and moose formation on the sides of his head and says could be worse I'm sure it could be worse might I suggest not going back to that place that keeps killing all of you it doesn't seem like a good place you know, like, ironically, none of us have choked in there. It, like, very well could be, like, <laughs> the, the very fiery tower or, like, the sudden arcane death tower. But, like, I, I will be real. We've made it this far without choking, so. You might be due with that. <laughs> it's the thing. <laughs> Brother, did you bring the, uh, the powdered rock? did indeed um diamond dust uh, we're getting quite low here we don't keep a huge supply on hand just to let you know so maybe don't go back to that place <laughs> well, <laughs> you see there's a very bad person there and Brixby figured out how to get rid of him so we have to go back at least once more we'll, um, hold out the like a little pouch one of those little felt pouches that's with the drawstring, like a tiny, tiny <laughs> crown royal bag. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alowin will take the uh, tiny bag and he'll, I imagine he like blows the dust over Brixby and he casts uh, restoration and removes one of Brix's negative levels and will have to spend another thousand worth of diamond dust in a week to get rid of the other one but for now at least he's a little stronger thank you so much but I don't know how you sheltered this Alwyn this is a horrible feeling Alwyn who still has uh, like faint cracks running along him from his own leftover negative level says yes it's a very strange feeling I don't like it very much but I think in a few days I can fix the rest of it well you brought me back and I um, hopefully have uh, brought something useful with me I think we can get rid of him I believe we can do it Also, just want to let everybody know that I am not going to say I'm going to bed, despite the fact that I died in this episode. In case anyone's wondering, <laughs> I am going That's to reserve what I was waiting that for. right for Sam. It's cool. 
I have taken up way too much space to also be the one who ends the episode. <laughs> so, just in case anyone's waiting for it, Raceby's just going to do that thing where he just sits there and he's like, so, until then. So. And everyone just kind of stands in a circle looking very awkward and yeah. like tapping their feet and rocking back. Like and nudging at him. Is there anything you feel like doing? <laughs> Brother Dermovich <laughs> does the like chest, or the like slap of the leg and he's like, well, y'all should go. <laughs> should really get out of here. Yeah. It's about time to hit that dusty trail. <laughs> it's trail. getting late. <laughs> I think Brother Dervich will say, well, if you um, insist on returning to that place, I, I wish you good fortune in your travels, and uh, may the Elk Father watch over you. Now, I'm afraid this is, um, I'm sure much more taxing for you than it has been for me, but I I think I need to go to bed. So, I'm going to bed. Good night, Gahwar, Dervich, and Sam. Good night, Brother night, Sam, Sam Dervich. Good night, Sam. Wow. Property of Network Against the Machine LLC, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron Gods Adventure Path are property of Paizo Publishing. See their website for more details. Theme Against the Machine was written and performed by our own Zach. See the show notes for additional music and sound licensing. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to leave us a review. Hold out the, like a little pouch one of those little felt pouches that's with the drawstring dime bag like a tiny tiny <laughs> crown royal bag yes <laughs> brick speed does a small line of diamond dust and that's what totally <laughs> <laughs> that is actually how restoration works <laughs>